This wasn't a passive agreement thing. This wasn't God speaking to Noah and saying, you need to uh, build this ark because there's a flood coming. And Noah saying, yes, count me in. I agree. I will be back here same time next week to hear more about this flood that is coming because I'm quite intrigued by what you're saying. I agree. I affirm what you're saying. I'll come back next week and tell you more. Noah needed to commit to this. He needed to do something with his commitment, with his, uh, with his agreement, sorry. He had to commit to this totally, and so do we. So, if you've not done already then, uh, let's open up those Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, if you're a Bible on your phone kind of person and you're using the YouVersion Bible app, uh, all this stuff is there uh, for you on the Bible app. So, uh, when, when we're working through books of the Bible with, uh, with continuous exposition, so when we're just kind of walking through it, chapter, chapter, verse, verse, we see, we usually see all of the teaching, all of the doctrine, uh, all of the stuff for us to know and understand is usually at the start of the book or the letter and uh, followed by the application. So, first of all, you need to understand and know and learn this stuff and then let it produce in you this kind of fruit. These are the kind of people you need to be based on all the stuff that you now know and understand. And that's very true for us in Hebrews. Uh, we've had 10 chapters of, of know this, understand this, learn this, if you've never heard it before. Now we're moving into what kind of people should we be based on uh, all of this stuff that we've now learned and known. So a couple of weeks ago, we read at the end of chapter 10, uh, for you, uh, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we have a 10 chapters of learn some stuff, know some stuff, understand some stuff. Uh, now, this big declaration, we are people of faith. That's the kind of people that we um, ought to be. Uh, and then as we continue in Hebrews, we talk about faith and hope and love. Chapter 11, 12, and 13. And we see, we're beginning to see in chapter 11, uh, what do we do with faith? We've always got to do something with it. And uh, if you drove with us 15 minutes into Manama last week and came to our all-age family service, we talked about faith. Uh, we had some practical examples of faith. Uh, some kids went home with massive bags of chocolate. Uh, so I'll apologize to you and uh, to who Jacob's parents that you went home with 25 miniature chocolates, each individually wrapped uh, for those <laughs> them to eat. But we talked about faith last week. We put it into action last week, or the kids put it into action last week. And today then we're going to talk about what really matters to God and how, how do we know it matters to him. Uh, is it works? Is it faith? And why? Why faith? Why do we need to be people of faith. So chapter 11 then of Hebrews, maybe you've heard it referred to as um, this hall of fame for Christians or the hall of, this hall of faith. And it, we've got some examples in chapter 11 of the kind of people that chapter 10 verse 39 talks about. Uh, people who didn't shrink back, people who weren't destroyed, people who had faith and people who preserved their souls. But the first thing that we need to do is to really quickly 
define, and again, we, we did this last week in the family service, but for those who weren't here, we'll do it again in a nutshell. What is faith? Why do we have it? Uh, so read with me again verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their common commendation. Uh, so faith is assurance, faith is substance, faith is conviction. We need to be the kind of people that are always displaying faith, uh, displaying assurance in the things of God. Uh, we talked about last week, what is faith not? And somebody said, uh, somebody said doubt. And I'm going to suggest to you that there are different kinds of doubts. Some are, are quite healthy and they help you progress in faith uh, and some absolutely not. So doubts of, the, doubts of the mind, do I really understand this? That's all right because it helps you to learn a bit more. Uh, doubts of the emotion, I'm not sure how I feel about this. That's all right because it helps you to learn and to grow. Doubts of your will, do I want to believe this? You know, that's, that's not all right. That's where we shouldn't have any doubt. Uh, so we talked about what faith is, assurance, substance, conviction, what it's not. Uh, but we need to be people who are displaying assurance in the things of God. So we, we don't doubt him and his word and his works. We, we show conviction about the things of God and we put them into action. We take him at his word, we trust it, and we do something with it. We don't just agree and say, yes, that sounds great. I will be back next week to hear more about what you say, because I kind of like it. Um, in a really, really practical way, we've all come in this morning, we've all looked at these chairs, we've all trusted the chairs, and we've sat down on the chairs. And the, the physical senses that you've got, uh, that we talked about last week, guide us through the material world. So you've made a judgment about these chairs that they're safe to sit on, and our faith is the same. That guides us through uh, the spiritual world as well. And verse 2 tells us one of the things that's not seen. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So something that we hope for, something that we don't see, we read of in verse 2, it's the approval from God. We read uh, it, for by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. And this concept of being commended by God, being, um, being found faithful before God is so important that it, chapter 11 begins with it. And if you look right to the end of chapter 11, to verse 39, actually chapter 11 finishes with this idea of, of people of faith are approved by God. And we read uh, in 11.39, all these, all these people, uh, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised because uh, they were looking forward and forward and forward to the coming Messiah. So this idea of being approved by God is so important and we'll, we'll come back to that uh, as to why faith is so important. So Hebrews 11 then is really about how these people, this, uh, these, this collection of Old Testament saints, gained approval from God. We read, by it, the people of old received their commendation. So by it, and of course it, we go one verse back, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So that we need to be people of faith who have assurance of the things that we hope for and convictions about things that we do not yet see. So faith put into action is how we receive our commendation uh, for God. And the commendation is the, the fact that we do talk about these people and their character is attested to uh, to be, we, we talk about these people and we say, yes, uh, he or, or she was faithful. 
they will have heard from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. But notice with me, there's nothing here about how, if you are full of faith, you will get your own will done. Uh, The Old Testament saints received a good testimony. They were commended. They weren't found to be healthy and wealthy. There's no... uh, Faith is not the key to becoming healthy and wealthy in a a, a worldly sense. Faith is not the key to unlock this magic genie that comes to grant your wishes. There's no speaking something into existence here. There's no naming and claiming. There's no controlling your own future by the power of positive thinking and by by faith. You are in charge of of you. We see really clearly uh, in Hebrews and in just the full counsel of God's word to us that faith is a godly thing and God rewards faith with a good commendation. The highest reward that that we could possibly receive. We're talking about uh, God, creator of heaven and earth, saying to you, individual you, well done, good and faithful servant. So faith doesn't aim to change uh, the situations around you. Faith says, um, okay, God, uh, your will be done because I trust you. Take your your word and I've got assurances about what you say. I've got convictions about how things are going to be because I trust you. So let's do what you want to do and as, as you like things to be. So that's what faith is and what it is not. And then the writer, the speaker to the Hebrews says, let's look look at some examples. Because it's one thing being told, this is faith. And it's another thing being being shown it with personal, uh, practical examples, isn't it? But before we launch into this big list of faithful people that we're going to talk about for a few weeks, uh, the writer, speaker, takes us all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to creation itself, uh, where God spoke and things came into existence. As we're reading passages like uh, Genesis, obviously Genesis chapter 1 and uh, Psalm 33. So before we get into the list of people, and we'll read again uh, verse 3, Hebrews 11 verse 3. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So we're talking about faith, we're people of faith. What do we do with our faith? The first thing that we do uh, is that we understand some stuff by faith. And the Hebrews have been told, look, the, 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 the things of the world, the, there are things in the world that you will never, you'll never understand aside from your faith. Uh, how many people saw the universe being created? Nobody, nobody in here. Nobody ever. No, nobody saw the universe being created. Everything that we see uh, and everything that we don't yet see, uh, God tells us, we see uh, in his word, he, he created all of this and we see in Genesis, don't we? All throughout Genesis 1, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. So we're people of faith. We're people with assurances about the, the things that we don't yet see. We've got convictions about the things of God. And so the question for us then, do, do we have a conviction about these things that, not, that, we, that we don't see here? Do we, do we believe, do we take God at his word, do we trust him that the universe was created By the word of God. Do we have a conviction about that? Do we understand that by faith? 
And people try, to, people try and put uh, faith and, uh, and, and logic and reason on, um, on opposite sides as if they can never go together. So you're a person of faith, therefore you're a bit of an idiot. Uh, you, you've got no logic about you, you've got no reason about you. Or you're a very logical, reasonable person, therefore you've just got no faith. When, when actually they do work together, because we can get to a certain point with, with reason and with logic, and then we've, faith can go beyond logic and reason. But faith will never contradict reason. Uh, God is a God of non-contradiction. He's a God of precision, of order, and he's a God of non-contradiction. So he's never, he's never going to ask us to believe in his word, something by faith that contradicts logic and reason. If people tell you, oh, well, the Bible says this, and uh, science says that, so the Bible must be wrong, they're probably either not understanding the science of what they're talking about, or they're just pulling Bible verses from here, there, and everywhere and saying, look, it doesn't match. So, but when you, when you really get down into it, when you really look at it, when you really study it, it doesn't. Faith can go beyond reason, but it will never contradict reason. So is it, reason, is it reasonable to believe in God? I, I, I believe it is. Is it reasonable to believe in a God so powerful that in one spoken word, a universe, he can create the universe? I believe it is. Do we understand how he did it? No. We just, we, let's not pretend. We just don't, do we? We don't understand how there can be nothing. We, that, we, we can't even get past the first hurdle of, think about nothing. And that, you think about that too much and you get a headache. You don't get answers. So we, we don't understand how there's nothing and then God is already there. And he says, light be. And it just, it just happens. Do we understand how he did that? No. But do we understand that he did do it? Yes, we do, don't we? So there are things that we, our faith will take us beyond reason, but it will never contradict. Because his word tells us so. Why do we, how do we understand that he did it? Because his word tells us so. Uh, creation points to a creator. Uh, the fine the fine-tuning of the, of, of the universe and everything around us points to an intelligent designer. I think you need much, much more faith to believe that all of this was some happy accident that came out of some chemical soup than uh, there is an intelligent designer behind this design. You need much more faith to believe that something came from nothing uh, than you do to just to, to take God at his word. Uh, we read in Proverbs 25 verse 2, it's to the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. So there are things, there are, there are mysteries in the, in the, in the universe, uh, material and spiritual. There are mysteries like, you know, why when we're in this side of the room, do all of our children come in and want to touch the walls? They don't touch the walls when we're in that side of the room. It's just a mystery. They come into this side of the room, they want to touch the wall. They don't touch walls all week. We walk into church, we start touching the walls. It's just that nobody knows that nobody knows why. There are mysteries in the universe, material things like that, spiritual things as well. Uh, there are many things that God has concealed. And I read this week that this is one expression of his glory. It's almost like he is saying that if, if we're amazed by everything that we see, you just, you just wait 
until you see what I have concealed. Because that is going to be even greater. So the first thing then, what do we do in faith? By faith, we understand things that logic, reason, we're never going to get fully there. By faith, we take God at his word, we have faith in him and his word, and we understand things that we could never understand aside from faith. As we continue then, we get to verse 4, and we see something else that we do in faith. Uh, Let's read verse 4 again. Uh, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So we've got Abel. Abel and his brother Cain. Uh, both brought sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, and in fact, let's, let's turn back in your Bibles or swipe up on that uh, list of books on your device. Let's go all the way back to Genesis, first book of the Bible. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. And we will read Genesis 4, verses 3 and 4. So we're all the way back to Genesis First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So... We read there really clearly that Abel brought some of his most valuable lambs. Uh, We read, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. So it's the first, it's it's his best stuff and of their fat portion. So he's giving God all the luxuries, all the little comforts uh, as well. And uh, Cain just brings some stuff, some stuff that he's got some produce in the field. So when the offerings were given, uh, we see really clearly that Abel's turned out to be, uh, we can say, which is better, which is better than Cain's. Uh, God accepted it. Cain gets really mad. Uh, long story short, uh, murders his brother. Uh, but the point here is, this is clear, is that the, the, the Hebrews 11 progresses, and in Genesis as well, that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rewarded his, uh, rewarded his, his faith. Because Abel gave it uh, in faith. The difference uh, was not one was vegetables and one was, uh, was animals. Uh, we're not going to hyper-spiritualize this and say, Ha! God wants you to eat meat. Because he didn't accept the vegetables. He did accept the lamb, so you should all go and eat lamb every day. Because God wants you to eat meat. God is obviously a meat eater. We're not going to hyper-spiritualize it and say ridiculous things like that. That's putting our ideas in. That's trying to, that's trying to find a justification where it's just, it's, just, it's just not there, is it? The difference uh, was that Abel's sacrifice was made by faith. Abel's sacrifice was made in faith. It was the best the best of what he had to offer. It's the firstborn of his flock. It's all the fat portions. It's the luxuries, the things that help his life to be more comfortable than it would be without it. Uh, He sees what God has blessed him with, lambs that have got nice fat bellies and the like. Uh, He sees what God has blessed him with, and he he probably thinks something like, well, 
God has given me all of this stuff. Uh, so if he's given me it now, he is able to give me it now. And therefore, I trust him in faith. I believe him that he can and that he will uh, give it to me again. So I will give him the best. And I will give him these, the luxuries because he's provided them for me now. Why, why would he not provide it for me again? So I'm going to give him my best. And it's, that's the, the principle of giving in faith, is giving our best, not giving a little bit just because we've got to. Uh, Mother Teresa said, if you give what you don't need, it's not giving. There's, uh, there's Abel, firstborn of the flock, fat portions. He's going to help him have a comfortable and a, and a materially more happy life. And, uh, he, but he gave it. He gave it in faith because he trusted that God was going to give him again. And uh, George Muller, a very interesting man, said that God judges what we give by what we keep. And we said, all, we said a while ago now, probably four, five, six months ago, back in Hebrews, we were talking about giving, uh, everybody's favorite subject in church to talk about giving. It's kind of like uh, you go to the doctors and uh, doctor pokes and, and prods and prods somewhere where you've got a bit of an issue. And everybody's like, ooh, no. You start talking about tithing, you start talking about giving in church and people are like, ooh. No, it's not, not good. But we did because it was there in the text. We talked about it. We said that a tithe uh, was a legalistic 10% of your gross back in the old, under the old covenant. Uh, but we also said that Jesus referenced it in, uh, in Matthew as something that we still should do. We don't have to. It's not, uh, there's, there's no written law that you should do it anymore. You must do it anymore. But it's something that we should do. And for me, Jesus says... Give your best to God. So we should give our best to God. Amen? Amen. Jesus said so. We should, we should do that. And think about David in uh, 2 Samuel 24 who says, Look, I'm not going to give anything to God that doesn't cost me anything. And uh, we don't give leftovers. We give in faith. We give in worship. We worship God and say, Thank you for all you've given me. Here's the best. Here's some of the best of what you've given me. And we give in trust. We trust God as our provider. It's not some simple religious practice that we, we, have, that we must do anymore. Uh, it's not a works thing. That's, that's Hebrew thinking. They're told, Leave that way of thinking behind. Give in faith. Worship through giving. Uh, that's old covenant thinking. You must do this. And here we've got the example of Cain and Abel. One gave because he felt like he should. Probably should give God some carrots and cauliflowers and the like. Uh, one gives the best in faith because he knows God is going to give him again. The reward, the commendation. Let's be really clear. This is not give your best to God and he will give more money back to you. We're, we're not, we're not, not, not going down that road of if you put X amount into the offering, God is going to bless you with 10 times more than that financially. We're not into that. And it's, we give our best to God. And that's between you and the Lord. The reward is not money, 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 money. The reward is the commendation. We see with, uh, we saw it with, very generally in the first uh, bit of text, we see it with Abel as well. Uh, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Now is that not something that you want more than money in the bank? God to tell you, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Well done. I am pleased with this. It is a righteous offering. That's, we, we, we've got to want that more than money in the bank. The commendation as well is that we still talk about these guys. We still talk about Abel through his faith. Though he died, he still speaks. We still talk about him. We are talking about him as an example of a good and faithful servant who, who gave in faith. Our faith then, we're people of faith. We've established that. We understand some stuff by faith. We've established that. And by faith we offer By faith, we give back to God. We worship God by giving him some of our best stuff. And as we continue through this text, we see some other stuff that we do in faith. We also build. So we're going to take a little jump down to verse 7. We're going to come back to 5 and 6. And uh, let's read together verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen... In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So I want you to, in your mind's eye, take yourself back. When, when, when was Noah? You know, five, six, five thousand years ago. Take yourself back. Think about some other stuff that you've never, ever seen. You've never seen an aeroplane. You've never seen a skyscraper. On a more basic level, you've never seen a flood. You just don't know what a flood is. Uh, There are different opinions uh, about uh, precipitation and rain and the like, so we're not going to teach it as a fact. But some people think he'd never even seen rain. But for sure, we can say he'd never seen a flood on the scale that is coming. So you, we go back 5,000 years in our mind, uh, we, we, we just don't know what it is to have too much water on the floor and it flooding. And he's told to build an ark because a flood is coming. And he just thinks, what? Build an ark, I'm gonna f- the, the, the world is going to be flooded. And... Uh, Noah's never ever seen or understands what a flood is. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, he's just got no idea what he's been told here. Yet told to build an ark, because this is coming. And it's like you and me being told, uh, you, again, you don't know what flood is, you also don't know what flight is. Maybe you've seen some birds. But there's certainly no aeroplanes. You don't know what flight is. Birds are up there, way down here. And God gives you a word and says, you need to build an aeroplane. You would just have no idea. These events as yet unseen. So for decades, some people think a hundred years, decades, he's building this ark. He's been laughed at. Decades. Of, of derision. Just, you know, this thing was massive, 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 massive. A hundred years have been laughed at. Like, what are you doing? What are you building? What, what, what are we, we going to do with this enormous box that you're building? And then that, that wonderful, that wonderful second 
of sovereignty when the heavens open and the, it just bursts forth and he is justified in his faith. A hundred years have been left at and that second when everything bursts forth and he is instantly justified. You can just imagine God saying to Noah, look, I told you, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, quick, quick, get inside because this is not going to get any better. And is that, is that not what we live for, that being ju- instant justified with the faith, by the faith, in the faith, with the faith, by the faith that we've got, the reward of our faith? God saying, yes. Noah, we read that he became, uh, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Is that not what we want? Is that not the ultimate goal of our life? To have God look at us and say, yes. So Noah heard it. He understood it uh, by faith because he had no idea what a flood is. Heard it, understood it by faith. And then he did something about it. It cost him something, didn't it? It cost him his time, about 100 years. It cost him his talents. He had to build it. Time, talent, and, and tithe. He had to you know, to buy some stuff, maybe barter for some hammers and nails and the like. Noah had to commit to this totally to be rewarded. This wasn't a passive agreement thing. This wasn't God speaking to Noah and saying, you need to uh, build this ark because there's a flood coming. And Noah saying, yes, count me in. I agree. I will be back here same time next week to hear more about this flood that is coming because I'm quite intrigued by what you're saying. I agree. I affirm what you're saying. I'll come back next week and tell me more. Noah needed to commit to this. He needed to do something with his commitment, with his, uh, with his agreement, sorry. He had to commit to this totally, and so do we. Noah was asked to build based on something that he has never, ever seen and just think, this is not going to happen to you, but just think, would you do that? If God says to you, go and build me an ark. Don't worry about your lifespan, but it's going to take a hundred years. You're going to need to buy the wood. You're going to need to build it. People are going to laugh at you. And now with social media, the world is going to, like that would go around like wildfire, wouldn't it? Idiot in Bahrain building huge ark. It would just, you would be laughed at a hundred years, but would you do that? If God said to you, look, you need to do this now, properly, would you do that? But when we, when, we re- when we really think about it, it's so much more simple for us. We don't need to offer sacrifices of lambs and turnips and vegetables and the like. We don't need to build arcs. Because we read that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. For in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So things have changed. You and me are never going to be asked to go and build an ark. There's not going to be some some prophet come with a, a prophecy of the coming Messiah. Everything has changed. We've gone from many different streams all into one. And that's where we, now we need to put our faith and obedience and trust and time and talent and tithe. Because things have changed. We're not going to build art, but we do have an object to put our faith into. Are you with me? 
Very good. And it's faith, it's faith that pleases God now. It's not the ark that you're going to build him. Uh, faith first. Hear it, understand it by faith. Do, do something with it. So we're people of faith. We understand things by faith. We offer, we give, we worship God uh, in faith. We build things in faith. Although, again, we're not going to build arts. We're building a relationship with Jesus. And again, then we come back to this question, why faith? Why is faith so important? So we'll read again verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's not a great deal written about Enoch in the Old Testament. Genesis 5.24 says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He's walking with God, then he's not there. It's, free. it's, it's, it's clear, it's simple. The, the, uh, the application is, is really clear and simple for us now. Faith is what matters. Faith is what pleases God, not religious rituals. We read, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we said at the beginning then, uh, why faith? Well, again, let's read again uh, the part of... A part of that passage about Enoch, uh, Hebrews eleven six. Why faith? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So the writer to the Hebrews uh, doesn't say that uh, without faith it will be difficult to please God. He doesn't say that without faith you will need to work really hard. And keep an incredibly detailed account of your good and your bad. So you can prove that you're pleasing God. He said that it's impossible. No chance to please God without faith. So we think then, is that is our aim to please God? Is the, is the, 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 the biggest, is the master passion of our life to live the best life we can according to how God says we should live? Or is the master passion of our life living your best life now, according to what you think life should be? And if we want to live a life that pleases God, that's the best life that, that he has designed for us and given us, then we live that life by faith. It's impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Uh, notice with me again toward the end uh, of that verse, he, he, God, rewards those who seek him. We've talked about this commendation uh, that has come for all these Old Testament saints. It doesn't say that God rewards those who are sincere in all that they do. Because it's really possible to be sincerely wrong. Uh, it doesn't say that God rewards those who try to be really moral. It doesn't say that God rewards those who try to be very principled. It doesn't say God rewards those who try to be good and do good. It says, well, sorry, it doesn't say that God rewards those who hear his word and agree. It says God rewards those who seek him 
And again, then we're, we're, our faith is active. We're doing something with it. We're understanding. We're offering. We're building. We're pleasing. And, and we're seeking. Within our faith, we are seeking God more and more and more. We just sung about uh, turning our eyes on Jesus and the things, things of the world are just getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Are we seeking him in all that we do? Every place during the week that we go, are we turning our eyes on Jesus and seeking him in, in all that we do? But then the question we might be thinking is how? How do we seek him? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that we turn back again in our Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John. Let's go to John chapter 14. A few books back in your Bible. John 14. Let's set the scene. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He's washed their feet. They're sharing a meal together. He says, one of you is going to betray me. They're all horrified. And then he says that he's leaving. And John 14, 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Hebrews then says that without, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews also says that God rewards those who seek him. How do we seek him then? Let's look again at verse 6 in John 14. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God rewards those who seek him. Those who want to go and be with him, to, to draw near to him. And here's Jesus saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. He made this amazing claim that he is the only way to God. That if you are seeking God, if you want his commendation, if you want to live the life that he wants you to live, again, Hebrews 11 says he rewards those who seek him. So we think, right, we want to seek him. How do we go and seek him? Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's done away with ritualistic religion. We spent 10 chapters saying how he is better than everything that the Hebrews had come from. Any other religion that we can possibly come from. Jesus has categorically said in his word that to seek God, to find God, to be with God, to find that commendation, to know God, to please God, it's all through him. Amen? And that, that's the whole point of Hebrews. You, individual you, you can do this now through the work of Jesus, our high priest. You can find right relationship. You can be commended by God. These Old Testament saints, they were commended. You can be too. This is what you do. This is how you do it. We live a life of faith. We seek God. We look at the whole counsel of God's word. How do we seek God? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody seeks God 
Nobody finds and seeks and gets there. It all comes through me. So, why? Why faith? What do we do in faith? What really matters to God is it works. Is it faith? We've seen really clearly in this part of Hebrews that it's faith that pleases him. We've seen really clearly in this part of Hebrews that it is those who seek him through faith in Jesus. Those are the people that he rewards. Those are the people who get the commendation as being, yes, you are faithful. This is what I want from you. Well done, good and faithful servant. So just just like we can have meaningful relationships with other people as we come to know them and as we come to trust them and as we come to love them, uh, as we come to know and as we come to, to trust and as we come to love God, we can have a meaningful, personal relationship with him too. He's revealed enough about himself through his creation, through his word, and through the person of his son, that we can enter into that meaningful relationship with him. This is what what Hebrews is all about. You, individual you, not corporate us, individual you can have a personal, meaningful relationship with God. You can do this right now as an individual through faith in Jesus, through because of Jesus. Right relationship with God is only possible for anybody when the, the, the barrier of our sin is taken out of the way. And the barrier of our sin is taken out of the way by trust in Jesus, by putting faith in him into action. He died on that cross to take our punishment, to pay our debt, to remove the barrier of our sin, to give his sinless life as a good enough sacrifice. And then for the one who believes, he allows us to live in his presence for eternity. So that is why faith is so important to the life that we are living. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we we thank you for your revelation of yourself in creation. We thank you for your revelation of yourself in your word. We know that this is complete. We know that it equips us for, for the life that you want us to live. We thank you for the revelation of yourself in the person and the work of Jesus. Father, we thank you for these wonderful examples of of saints who lived under the old covenant. We thank you. We are so grateful for their faithfulness that we can look back and see that living a life of faith is, is worthwhile. That we can see the true reward for living a life of faith. That it's a commendation by you that we can live in right relationship with you, that we can please you, and that you reward those who seek you through faith in Jesus. Father, for this we are so unbelievably grateful. 
And we pray that as we go back out today, you help us to live this life of live a life of gratitude, a life that constantly turns our eyes upon Jesus, a life that never forgets that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and that we cannot approach you, be in right relationship with you, be with you, please you, seek you, if it is not through him. We pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you help us to be people who keep Jesus as the center of our lives. And Father, we just pray that if there's anybody who's never sought you through faith in Jesus, Father, that today is the day, that today is the day that the barrier of their sin is removed, that today is the day they enter into an eternal, right, loving, personal relationship with you through faith in Jesus. Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, and until he comes again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.